The following audio is from a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer entitled, Pray Like Jesus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. We are in a six-week study right now on the Lord's Prayer, and we are at week four, so we've got a couple more weeks to go. But as soon as we're, we're done with this series on prayer, <clears throat> we are going to do a six-week series on marriage. And we're calling this series uh, The Mystery of Marriage. I thought we had a slide. I was expecting it to pop up. Didn't. Uh, anticlimactic. Uh, anyways, we're, going, we're spending six weeks studying marriage because statistically, the majority of the people in this room are either married, have been married, or have a desire to be married. And we want to prepare you for marriage, and we also want to teach you what the Bible says about marriage, that indeed, the Apostle Paul says that marriage is a mystery that's meant to point people to the reality of Christ's love for us, that God gave us a marriage, God gave us human marriage to point towards the gospel. And that means the quality of our marriages speaks a gospel to our city, to our friends, to our neighbors, to people watching. And so we want to be, we want to have a marriage that's built on the gospel. We want to have a marriage that's centered on the gospel so that we can be missional and declaring a good gospel to the, to the world around us. And so we want to help our marriages, those that are in here. We want to, pre- single folks, we want to prepare you. Listen, it's never a good idea to just show up to a marathon, right? You should do some preparation before you show up to a marathon. Do not just, I'm going to get ready for marriage the day that I meet my spouse. Not a good idea, right? Let's prepare. How can we be preparing our hearts, preparing our minds, preparing our lives, preparing our budgets, preparing our schedules for the future reality that I might be married someday, right? So this this series will be an opportunity for you to prepare yourself. So we're really looking forward to it. I haven't preached. Basically, we preached on this about six years ago, like the first, within the first six months of our church. And it's been one of the most popular series we've ever done. And we're going to revisit that, revamp it a little bit and, and bring some, blow some fresh, fresh air into it. So hopefully you'll be looking forward to that. It'll be starting in that three or four weeks, something like that. So there we go. That's that. Looky there. There it is. Let me pray. Father, we have already been caught up in the worship of you this morning. Worship isn't just the songs. It's not just this portion of our service. This too, as we come to your word and as we listen and as we come to know you and come to understand you, this too is worship. Even as I preach, I'm worshiping you. As I'm enjoying you and enjoying your word that's been given to us, So I pray that the Holy Spirit would enable me this morning, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that people would hear you, that the words that um, come out of my mouth aren't just from my own mind, but they're from your word, and that they would bring 
bring and bear fruit in people's lives that Christians would understand you in a greater way. They would be able to encounter you in a more meaningful way. That their prayer lives would deepen. That you would give them a depth, a gentleness, a boldness that's beyond their natural personality traits. Do something deep in the hearts of your people this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Matthew chapter 6. You can find that in your Bibles or on your apps. And uh, we have been, like I said, we've been spending the last four weeks studying how to pray. Now listen, sometimes we can be like, how to pray? What, what do you mean? Well, that's just talking to God. Well, yes and no, right? Prayer is a natural inclination. We've all been made in the image of God, so we all have this desire to pray. But prayer is also... Um, not easy, right? It's not simple. It's just not us bringing our own ideas to God, but God has given us a formula in how to pray, right? God's helped us learn how to pray. And he did that when Jesus showed up to his disciples and said, here, pray like this, all right? So I'm going to review a few things, and then we're going to jump right into where we're going this morning. The, uh, some of the things that Jesus has taught us about prayer. One, that we should get alone in a place that's relatively peaceful and quiet. That we're meant to pray both privately and together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's actually a danger if we're only praying or primarily praying in the, in the presence of other people. Um, secondly, we are to remember who we are praying to. We're remembering that God is the one who's listening to us, that He is our Heavenly Father. So we should spend a good deal of our time in our prayers just thinking about God, just meditating on his character and his nature and the truths of the gospel. And after that, he taught us to hallow his name. That means we worship God and we ask him to help us honor him and his name above all else. This is where we let God draw our gaze upward out of our own issues and upon him. To pray rightly is to be God-focused in our prayers. See, the majority of our problems in our life and in our prayer life is that we are selfishly, our perspective is on self all the time, right? And so our problem is a matter of perspective. We need to change our perspective off of gazing inward and we need to gaze upward at God. God cures us of a million ills when we can appropriately worship him and honor him as God. When our eyes go up instead of in, it solves a million things in our lives. Then, we, like we saw last week, we ask God to align our hearts, our wills, and our priorities with his. We want his kingdom to come his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we align ourselves with the end result of the universe, the end of the universe. What I've read in, the, in our call to worship time this morning, that everything in the universe is moving towards God's kingdom being restored on this earth, and we want to be actors in that drama. We want to participate in, the, in where everything is going, Right? This is way where we, in our prayers, we're praying for God's mission to be accomplished in our city, 
We're saying, let your kingdom come in me. Let your kingdom come in my home. Let your kingdom come in my neighborhood. Let your kingdom come in my missional community. Let your kingdom come in my city. Let your kingdom come in our country and in the world. We're saying, bring it now, Lord. It's also good here to stop in this section of the prayer and let your imagination run a bit. None of this prayer is meant to be a mindless incantation or a mantra that you just, you know, pray up to God and it's just a magical, it's like a rubbing a genie's lamp and if you say the right words, then the right things happen. Your heart needs to be engaged. What do you mean when you pray your kingdom come? Let your imagination take that for a run, take that for a spin. What would it look like if the kingdom of God broke into your personal life? What would it look like if the kingdom of God broke into your missional community? Can you describe that? Can you see that? As you can describe it, as you can see it, as you meditate on it, your heart will long for it. You'll, it'll be easier to pray it. What does it look like for God's kingdom to break into your workplace? doesn't just mean people get saved. If you've got this idea that you start declaring the kingdom and just everybody starts getting saved, that's not, it, that's not all of it. Things begin to get restored, renewed. Now, all of this, this is all what we've learned in the past four weeks. You can find it on the podcast. All of this is meant to show us that a good chunk of prayer, at least half of it, is actually meant to draw our eyes, our ears, our attention upward to God. That a good deal of time is meant to be spent thinking about His name, thinking about His character, thinking about His works in creation, thinking about His works in redemption, thinking about His kingdom and His story and His will. Now, why? Well, this is meant to have a calming and correcting effect on us. It's meant to melt us into the will of God. We might, if you're anything like me, you might have entered into your time of prayer frustrated, angry, anxious, with a list of demands for God. But after the first half of this prayer, we've, we're meant to get a glimpse of God that should bring some settledness to our soul. Oh yeah, I forgot. He's my heavenly father who's sovereign and in control of everything. He knows what I need. Oh, oh. This is meant to have a calming effect on us. This is how David says it in Psalm 131, 1 and 2. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up in arrogance or pride. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't think I can see the, I don't have the perspective that God has, right? I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He knows who he is, right? I'm not God, I don't have your perspective. I don't even try to figure all these things out. Look, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. 
my soul is within me. See, prayer had a calming effect on him. It settled him. It quieted his soul. It's meant to have the same effect on us. But you can also see from David's prayer that praying like this also brought some correction to his prayers. David is saying, I came into prayer with an unquiet soul. You know what unquiet soul is? It's a demanding soul, right? When you have a little baby who's not weaned, they don't care if you're in public. They will grab your shirt and rip it open, right? I've seen it happen, right? They are demanding their will is right now, and I know what I want, and I'm going to take it if you don't give it to me. Or I will make your life a living hell in the shopping mall. Right now, I will scream bloody murder. I will kick and go straight. Your life will be over. You know, you've never seen that in a child. They just become a demon in your arms. <laughs> right? What is that? That is an unweaned child. That's what that is. Now, our soul approaches God like that. Right? I know what I want. I know what I need. Here's my list of demands to you. <clears throat> David said, I came in with an unquiet soul, a restless soul, with my soul screaming, what is going on? Are you not aware of the realities of my life? Are you not aware of how difficult my marriage is? Are you not aware of how my business is going? Are you not aware of how my body is reacting and the brokenness in my body. God, what's going on in my life? See, that's an unquiet soul. With his eyes lifted up in pride, I know exactly what I need. God, here are my children's problems. Here is how you can solve them. I've laid it out for you. See, David knew, I know what's best for me. I know exactly what God should do to make me happy. But in his prayer, see, this is what, this is how he approaches God. But then God, because he encounters God, he, at first he had this, he, he went to pray and he had this bad idea of God. God's a genie in a lamp. I need to rub it. And then I'm going to get my prayers answered. But then when he goes, whoa, 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 just who am I praying to? Oh, I'm praying to Yahweh, the God of the universe. He's sovereign. He knows all and sees all. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Woosah, boy. Chill out. My eyes are not lifted up. My heart is not lifted too high. God's name, God's character, God's wisdom, God's kingdom, God's will has brought some correction to his prayers. Now he can rest. Now he can trust God. Now he can actually pray a prayer that is in alignment with God's kingdom. Before this kind of resetting of prayer, all he would have done is pray, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or on earth as it is in my mind. Now he can say, no, 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 whoa, whoa, what was I thinking? Your way's best. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when we see what's going on here, Jesus is teaching us that the first half of the Lord's prayer is meant to be something of a filter. 
right? You know what a, you know what a filter is, right? You make good coffee in the morning, get your filter. Nobody wants to drink coffee grounds, right? Get your coffee grounds in the filter, pour some water through it. What comes out of it is heaven's nectar, right? <laughs> Listen, the Lord's prayer, the first half of the Lord's prayer is meant to be a filter to catch your stupid, can I say that? Your stupid, selfish, short-sighted prayers. Now, what do I mean by that? How could we pray stupid things? Let me give one example right now. If God were to, so I teach my kids to pray. We pray this prayer. We pray at nighttime. Um, my about-to-be-four-year-old daughter, her chief prayer in life right now is that you, daddy would give me back my passing. That's the prayer. Daddy would give me back my passing. Okay? Now, if you've ever had a child that had a blankie or a binky or whatever, you want to please your, like, hey, we want to give the child the balloons, right? Just stop crying. Here's the balloons. <laughs> right? But, but that, ha that has to stop somewhere. Right? I'm a good dad, and I can see her on her wedding day with her binky, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. We got to stop this somewhere, and I think four is good. We need to do this right now, right? I had a friend. No, I had a cousin who went to college with a little piece of his binky, all right, or a little blankie. I'm like, Mama should have took that from you a long time ago, right? Now, this is her prayer. It's ignorant. It's selfish. It's short-sighted. I can't, as a good father, I'm not going to fulfill her prayer. Now, how many times have we brought the same short-sighted, ignorant, selfish prayers to God and asked him to give us what we wanted. Who was the first person of the opposite sex that you prayed that God would just give them to you? Right? Can we just, let, if you're older in the room, can we go there for a second? Just let us think back. Ooh, right? Jesus is calling. <laughs> <clears throat> Can we just think about it for a second? Right? <laughs> oh, man. Listen, how many times have we prayed, this job, this is the one I need? Right? God, get me into this school. God, get me into this class. Get me into this apprenticeship. Get me into this career. Get me into this job. Get me this spouse. And God, in his graciousness, sees the long game, and he's like, oh, oh, you don't want that. There's a famous old, that's not too old, but country song by Garth Brooks. Thank God for unanswered prayers. See, this, the Lord's Prayer is meant to be a filter to filter out some of our stupidity, right? Maybe I don't know everything I need, and so I'm going to pray for God's will to be done and not my own little will. Now, if we just skip this part of prayer and we just jump right into where we're going this morning, scholar N.T. Wright says this, is to let greed get in the way of grace. If I just jump into my prayer, Father, I need help today, I need this, I need that, you see my kids, you see my, and we just give them our list of demands or kind of our shopping list, that's to let greed get in the way of grace. We forget that everything we have is given by God. We have to remember prayer isn't just about getting things from God. It's meant to calm us and it's meant to get us concerned 
about the things that concern God. That means we may go into prayer burdened with all our own concerns, but if we pray like Jesus, as God lifts our attention to his mission in the world, he will actually burden us to pray for his kingdom to expand. We learn this from Jesus' own prayer in Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus says this, that during his own times of prayer, look, he personally prayed for Peter. He says this, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Now, there is so much in that prayer. I wish I could just preach on that this morning. First off, we think failing means sinning. We think failing means uh, you know, doing something we're not supposed to do. That's when our faith fails. But Jesus here, he sees Peter. He knows Peter's going to fail. He knows Peter's going to sin. He knows Peter's going to abandon him. But he says, I've prayed that your faith may not fail. Look, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Failing is to not turn again. Failing is to not repent after we've made mistakes. And Jesus says, Peter would have been lost if Jesus hadn't prayed for him. That Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail, that he wouldn't be so discouraged after abandoning Jesus, that he wouldn't quit and give up and walk away. He said, no, after you fail, repent and strengthen the brothers. Can I ask you, are you praying like this for your kids, for your missional community, for your pastors, for your boss, for those you're on mission to? Father, don't let their faith fail. Keep them. Preserve them. Give them strength. Give them the ability to repent and turn from their sins. Don't let them give up. And then after we have asked God to get our minds and our hearts and our wills and our lives on his agenda, agenda then Jesus teaches us to get, ask God, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that's a very simple prayer. Many of us have probably prayed it, but every word in that prayer is important. There's so much packed into that one request. I need to break it down a little bit for us. First, what does Jesus mean by bread? Right? What does he mean by bread? Martin Luther was asked by his barber how to pray. And he responded in a letter to his barber and he taught him how, in teaching him how to pray. I'm going to post that letter to Realm um, this, this week, probably later today, so that you can read it. It's a great little discourse on prayer. And in that discourse, this is what Martin Luther says that word bread means. Bread includes everything necessary for the preservation 
of our life, like food, healthy body, home, good weather, family, good government, and peace. So in this prayer, Jesus tells us to pray for the things we need. Now, the Lord's Prayer really is the perfect prayer. Do you see how the first half is meant to take us up into the clouds, to bring us up into God's throne room and get us pumped about his glory and his gospel and his coming kingdom, but then just as fast, it comes down to the nitty-gritty details of our earthly life. Bread. We just went from kingdom to bread. This shows us that God is concerned with his coming kingdom, but he's just as concerned for you and your daily needs, that he is a good heavenly father. He wants us to bring our needs to him. So yes, it is okay to pray for that job. It is okay to pray for that house to raise a family, and it is okay to pray for a spouse or to pray for healing or to pray for your kid's education. It is okay to pray for those things. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time about what's called supplication because I think we're probably pretty good at praying for our needs most of the time. We don't have to be taught how to do that. But this is one little perspective I'd like to throw in there. By using this word bread, Jesus was teaching us to pray for our necessities, not luxuries. He didn't say, give us this day our dessert. Something that's nice to have, but not needed. He also qualified this request by saying, give us this day. So give it to me today. What? My daily bread. He didn't say, give me today what I need for a month. That'd be really nice. I want to come to God once a month for my bread. I want to make this a daily thing. No, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is saying, ask the Father to give us what we need today. Now, this should remind us of the Israel, Israelites in the wilderness needing the daily manna from God, needing bread every day. And if they tried to store it up, it would get worms. If they only got enough for the day, they were meant to be daily dependent upon the grace of God. I won't eat today unless I go get manna from God. Now that's so true in so many different areas of our life that we need to feel daily dependent upon him and trust him for his provision. Now, if you make more or your household brings in more than $32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world. You are wealthy. Most likely, not all the time, most likely you have your most basic needs met. And one of the things that Satan uses to keep God's kingdom from advancing and bearing fruit here on this earth is our own materialism and greed. If we are constantly asking God for bigger houses, better cars, fancier vacations, 
we are not going to be concerned about meeting the needs of those who aren't in the top 1%, the poor among us whom Jesus spoke of often. His kingdom is for the poor. We won't be as concerned with giving generously to the church so that we can plant more churches and see more people come to faith because we're concerned about the expansion of our own personal kingdom. See, let's draw attention back to this prayer. When Jesus says, give us our daily bread, that means it's a, it means it's a communal prayer. We aren't just praying for our individual needs to be met, but for our church family's needs to be met as well. That's who us and are is meant to be. It's not my immediate family, me and my kids. It's not me and mine. It's God's family. It's the church. So during, when, I'm, when I'm praying for my needs to be met, I'm also meant to be praying for those in my church family as well. This is where we start asking God to meet the needs of those in our missional community, those in our church, those in the ministries that we are invested in, those in Kenya, those in our cities. But we should ask ourselves, when we're praying for these things to happen, how does God intend to meet these needs? I think there's an unhealthy idea surrounding prayer that when you pray for something, God just drops that thing out of heaven. That that's how God answers prayer. That's that's not a biblical idea. God meets our needs primarily through other people. He does it through individuals, families, businesses, and even the government. But all of these examples are meant to be personal. See, I I say this because some of us, when we pray for someone's need to be met, we just assume that our job is done. Check. I prayed for him. Check. We've prayed for him, and now it's up to God to kind of cut the check, disperse the funds. I haven't met anyone who was in need and just woke up and the money was direct deposited in their bank from God. A little note on the bank, God. That's not how the Bible treats prayer and meeting the needs of those we're in community with. Look, here's how the Apostle John says it in 1 John 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods, pause. Just raise your hand if you have some of the world's goods. Okay, just wanted to make sure we're all in this, speaking it to us, okay? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, that is not your sibling, this is your brother in Christ, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? So I have 
some extra in my life. I have the world's goods. I have some extra. And I see my brother struggling to make a car payment, struggling, whatever it is, put food on the table. And I close my heart against him. How do I close my heart? You need to work harder. You've probably been irresponsible. You're just a young man. You got to pave your way, bud. I remember when I was like that. Yeah, it's, it's real hard. But now that I'm retired, whew, feels good. Work hard. You'll get here someday. That's how we close our, that's one of the ways we close our heart. The other is just to ignore it, turn our eyes away. Listen to how Jesus' brother says it. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, Christian family, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So what he means by that is, oh, you believe these things, but let me see how that, uh, that, how that flows out of your life. Keep going. Can that faith save him? The answer is no. Look, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Let me just pause and say, and apply it to our text. And one of you says, I'll pray for you, brother. Oh, I'll pray about that. I'm not saying it's bad to pray about that, but if your prayer is just an excuse to do nothing, it's just pushing it down the field so you're not involved, that's not real prayer. The prayer of Jesus gets us involved in meeting our brothers' and sisters' needs. Look, he says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. Jesus isn't just concerned with our spiritual health, he's also concerned with our physical health. What good is that? He says your faith is useless. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Listen, Sacred City Church is currently made up of 14 missional communities spread across our cities. MCs are small groups of people who are committed to learning their life as a family of missionary servants who submit all their life to King Jesus. And one of the aspects of living in community like this is the ability and the responsibility to truly bless one another and meet each other's needs. At the church, we really don't have like a traditional benevolence fund at the church where people give money and the pastors kind of dispense that money to pay people's rent and such. Happens rarely. What happens more often is that needs are brought up in prayer at missional community and then the MC family does what good MC families do or what good families do. They pray and they let their prayer drive them to giving. They ask God to meet the need and then they feel called by God to step in and help answer that prayer. They step up as a child of God and give some of their extra daily bread for someone who's lacking in daily bread. This is one of the keys of the expansion of Christianity. Christianity was this minor little sect that was going on in the Roman Empire. They laughed at it. They thought they were going to stomp it. Roman Empire was the most dominant empire that's ever been on the face of the earth. And they laughed at this little thing. But Christianity grew from this minuscule movement into taking over Rome and taking over the world eventually. One of the primary ways it moved so fast was the hospitality of Christians. 
See, in that day and age, people were very liberal with their body. They would sleep with whoever they want. Marriage was not that big of a deal most of the time. But they were very conservative with their finances. They held back their finances. But when the gospel planted in this culture, it flipped it upside down. And now they became very conservative with their bodies. It's just for me and my spouse, but very liberal with their resources. They gave and they welcomed people and they had people over for dinner and they shared their food and they met each other's needs. We see this throughout the book of Acts. See, that's, what's, that's part of what the church is meant to do and what meant to be. When, we, when we're praying, give us our daily bread, we're getting concerned with the needs of our brothers and sisters. Now, I hesitate to do this um, because I don't want to be, be bragging or anything like that. Um, and so, but I, I give personal examples because that's the only examples I have in my head. You can give me more examples and I'll share your examples. Okay? I, I remember times where I was meeting with a college student and I looked down and his shoes were held together by duct tape. And I said, bro, let's get in my, get in my truck. We got, we got to go. We go to the shoe store and we buy a pair of shoes. Right? I could have, oh, yeah, I remember when my shoes looked like that too in college. Yeah. I remember walking into some guys that were, had their first bachelor pad. They invited me over. I went in there, and I opened up the fridge, and there were condiments. I said, what are you eating? I said, pray for you. No, drove to Walmart. Got a cart full of groceries, too, if I remember right. Brought it home. Boom. There are people in my missional community. Car broke down, didn't have money for it. We had an, or this was in our small group, back to this before we had mission community. We had an extra car. We said, Here. Here, here's, your, here's a car. I've seen it play out in missional communities the same way. Engines blow up. Brakes go out. People step up and meet the need. Now oh, I pray for you. This is something foundational to being in the family of God. Now, of course, we don't enable people. We don't enable foolishness. We don't enable irresponsibility. We don't do that, Right? We want people to step up and take responsibility for their life and work hard and make wise decisions. I've seen mortgages paid. At Sacred City, I've seen rent paid. I've seen, some, sometimes it's just small, like date night, card, gift cards given, people in their missional community, right? Hey, we'll babysit for you for free one night. Or you can go out and enjoy your spouse Mentorship opportunities, apprenticeships, jobs. Prayer is meant to cause us to have this kind of mentality as we're walking around. We're looking for ways to bless our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we're praying about it and then we're stepping in and saying, can I do that? Can I sponsor that child? Can I give to that need? Can I do that, Lord? See, this is one of the reasons why the church is meant to be structured in small groups of people who care for one another like family. If all you do is come to a large Sunday gathering, how will you ever know when someone in your church family needs your help? 
The Bible says it is our responsibility as Christians to take care of one another's needs. How can you actually obey that command if you're not involved in a missional community? Secondly, we're, we're all going to need something someday. How are your needs going to be met? Your physical needs, if you're not in a missional community. I, I just, somebody told me last week, they came to the church and, and they were brand new here and, and they needed help moving. And like six guys showed up on the day that they were, that the day they arrived to, to move her. And, and she was like, what? All of these guys just showed up. They don't even know me. Now, when I heard that, I was like, I've been, we've been in this and living this. I thought, yeah, doesn't everybody? It's what family does. It's what family does for one another. You aren't meant to be independent and have to figure everything else on your own. You're meant to live as a member of God's family. Finally, Every time Christians share their extra with those who are in need, the kingdom of God is breaking in. And it gives outsiders a chance to see how good our God is. See, Christians don't live generously and seek to bless others on a daily or weekly basis because we think we're better than anyone or because it makes us feel good, because we don't like to spend money on ourselves, right? Christians bless others because we realize how much God has blessed us. Think about it. Our greatest need in life is to be forgiven and loved by God. To find our way back to Him and be brought into our fa- His family, But the problem is, all of us are absolute beggars, spiritually bankrupt, unable to meet our greatest need, born with this need to get back into a relationship with God, but spiritually bankrupt, unable to meet that need on our own. So God sent Jesus to this earth for us, he loved us spiritual beggars so much that the king of the universe stooped down to save us. That's what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. The king became a pauper. The king became a beggar so us beggars could become sons and daughters of God. See, the Christian lives with this simple truth as the bedrock of their life. If God gave so much to save me, how could I ever withhold anything from him? Everything I own is actually his. He has given it to me, and I am simply a steward. Think about that. I'm a steward. God wants to move some money through me. Okay. He gives it to me so I can give it to his mission. I can give it to his church. I can give it to my MC family. The father has given me an allowance to take care of his family. If this isn't your mentality, then you are either not a Christian or you don't understand the gospel at all. 
Don't you see that all of his giving, when you receive it, changes you into a radically generous person? Have you received his giving? There's only two things that we should do this morning after hearing this. One, if you haven't received his giving, stop, repent, and receive it. And if you have received this, and you're a Christian, but you're not living your life according to the gospel, you're not letting the gospel change your heart, you need to stop, and you need to repent, and you need to remember what he's done for you. That's what the Lord's Supper is meant to do for us this morning. It's a time for Christians to stop, to repent, and to remember. And the, the benediction as we get sent out later here today, what's it mean? It's meant to go tell us, go live like you believe the gospel. Go be this gospel family and take what, care of one another as family and live on mission to our cities. Go do it. So this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper and I'm, I challenge all of us. Search our hearts. Ask God to bring the reality of the gospel to bear to our heart and make us into radically generous people. Jesus, I recognize in my heart the stinginess, how you've given finances and you've given things to me and I want to be stingy with them and hold on to them, afraid that if I give them away, I'll never get enough or I'll never, they'll never come back to me. And by doing that, it's a failure to believe in your good, sovereign provision in my life. And I repent of that and I ask that you would help me keep my eyes on the gospel so clearly seen in the Lord's Supper before us that you loved us and loved God so much that you allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed to bring us into your family. And as you bring us in, you change us and you send us back out with that same attitude and that same heart and that same generosity. Would you bring repentance? Would you give us faith? Would you increase our love for you and our awareness of your love for us? Would you do this now during this time and through your body and your blood? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.